Hi, this is Elliot Fishman. I'd like to welcome you to our latest vodcast. And this vodcast is entitled CTN Geography, GI Oncologic Applications. And this is a talk I gave at a meeting in December, which is about a month ago. And I thought it's something I'd share with you. It'll be probably about a three-part uh, lecture, as we typically do on our vodcast. Again, recognizing that if I tried to cover everything in GI Oncology, we might be here for about... Uh, 30 lectures, not just the three parts. So just a couple things, we'll get started. We're going to look at a couple of the roadmaps, the current state of the art of CT scanning, the current state of the art of CT angiography, and the role of CTA in clinical practice, and use that as roadmaps to figure out how we do things in oncology. Now, oncology is always big time for CT. No matter how many changes there are in technologies from non-spiral to spiral, from one slice, one slice spirals to four, uh, detector spirals to 16 to 32, 64, whatever. Uh, oncology always makes up about 60 to 70 percent of anybody's practice, so indeed is very critical. Now you can see that the amount of oncology studies we've done or do continues to grow with the technology change, but it's important to recognize that our capabilities of our sensitivity and specificity increase with increasing scanner sophistication. Simple things, delivery of contrast and data acquisition is important in many applications, surely in all angiographic applications, but especially important in oncology where looking for vascular liver mets is critical, where looking at the vessels for encasement in pancreatic cancer, for example, is critical, so timing is critical. Where in the past we could not scan fast enough to scan the liver entirely in arterial phase, at 16 slices or better, it's easy enough to do. And so if you're looking for hepatoma or staging hepatoma or looking for neovascularity or metastatic islet cell, you can do the studies as they need to be done. We also, in many lectures, speak about isotropic resolution and its importance in allowing us to do post-processing. A lot of the oncology patients were determining resectability, we're doing accurate staging, and so imaging beyond a single uh, axial slice is indeed very, very important. Now, in terms of CT angiography at 64 slice and 64 MDCT in general, uh, we have to really look at what it does in terms of detecting the presence of disease, defining extent, and helping with patient management. And all those things are something we've always done. That's really how we do CT. We're really trying to answer all of those questions the question is, can we do them better? Now, one thing I will say, there are very few articles, if any, that compare 4 to 16 or 16 to 64. There just aren't articles. What you can compare is looking at the results of larger series and see exactly how our sensitivity and specificity has been. And indeed, it does improve with the technology. Also, the ability to uh, go beyond the axial images is something we've spoken about in other talks, but it's especially important in oncologic imaging, particularly in surgical planning, because we know that axial images in the oncologic patient have limitations, whether it's in detection of disease, whether it's in correct staging of disease, or even in arriving at the best differential diagnosis. Now, in terms of CT angiography, why we use it in oncology patients, there's a number of reasons. One, it potentially allows for earlier detection of disease, particularly for vascular tumors. It gives better definition of the extent of disease, 
and more accurate staging, and again may allow us to better monitor therapy, particularly by looking at lesion vascularity or in fact neovascularity. So let me look at some typical applications. One application would be the pancreas, where the goals are very simple, detecting the presence of a mass. If we see a mass, be it cystic or solid, determining what it is. If we think it's a tumor that's malignant potentially, what about vessel involvement? How does the SMA look? How does the celiac look? How's the hepatic artery? And really determine resectability. Now, resectability will vary depending on institution and patient's age. But again, um, there are certain criteria, lack of liver mets, lack of significant vascular invasion, that will indeed be a criteria for, patient pay, for making patients resectable or making them unresectable. So let's look at a couple examples. Nice normal exam of the pancreas, lobulations of the pancreatic gland, shown very well in 3D with the mesenteric vessels. Or this next patient with evidence of a pancreatic mass with a mass in the head of the pancreas, hypodense, vascular involvement. In this case, the axial images show the lesion very nicely. Classic um, hypodense adenocarcinoma. In addition, not every tumor is hypovascular. Here's an example of a hypervascular pancreatic mass. Classic islet cell tumor sitting in the uncinate process and pancreatic head. Again, the 16 and 64 allow us to pick up these tumors uh, very easily in the past where you couldn't get that arterial phase it would be impossible to do and here's just a very very nice example of a tumor or this other neuroendocrine tumor very large cystic and solid mass neovascularity present very very classic and again in terms of differential diagnoses we note some of these neuroendocrine tumors are very large they don't have the ductal obstruction, be it common duct or pancreatic duct, that we typically see with adenocarcinoma. We also can differentiate them by the density. This lesion is cystic. You can argue what type of cystic tumor it is, and this was a cyst adenoma, but the nice thin septations, well-defined lesion, no vascular invasion, and water density makes the diagnosis fairly straightforward. As opposed to this case, which shows a hypovascular mass, in the body of the pancreas, invading the celiac axis, hepatic artery, and splenic artery, very classic for an adenocarcinoma of the pancreas. So again, density and appearance, enhancement, lack of enhancement are all indeed very critical. Then of course we look at the vascular map, and in this case you can see that the tumor occludes the junction of the portal vein SMV. You see it on the left with the volume rendered image, and you see it on the right with the MIP image. When the vessel is encased or occluded, surely that patient will not be resectable. As now, in this case, the patient has a dilated pancreatic duct and there's a mass in the head and uncinate process, which for all the world looks resectable because you can see the portal vein and SMV look okay. But when you look very carefully at this patient and you look at the next image, you see a uh, lesion, or you will see a lesion in the pancreas. You see the dilated common duct. Again, nothing that makes this patient unresectable till you get to the next set of images and see the liver met. A liver metastasis will make a patient unresectable. Unlike colon cancer, we'll operate to a segmental resection or RF ablation. In pancreatic cancer, if you see a met, it means you have more, and those patients will not go to surgery. 
Now, I showed you this set of cases as masses and looking at differential diagnosis of mass. We also can look at differential diagnosis in terms of symptoms. So, for example, we can say a patient's jaundice. What's the etiology? Can CT help us? Well, what typically is the case, the patient's 70 years old and it becomes jaundice, you're thinking about tumor. You're thinking adenocarcinoma will prove otherwise. But there are other things that can cause obstruction and it's not just pancreatic lesions. It could be bile duct lesions. It doesn't necessarily need to be malignant. It could be a stricture. Well, here's such an example. You can see in this case, there's a duodenal diverticulum, there's a dilated common duct, but you can see that within the common duct, there is a filling defect. That's a non-opaque stone or a minimally opaque stone that's standing out against the bile. So this patient was very lucky. You can see this patient gets an ERCP. They remove the stone. The patient does fine as opposed to having pancreatic cancer. So here, and here's just another set of images. And you can see the stone very nicely brought out. It can be difficult to pick up stones sometimes, as in this case when they're not calcified, particularly if you're only looking in the axial plane. You need to go to the 3D mode, the multiplanar mode, to really very carefully analyze each of the transition points, as you can see there. Now, other examples, dilated common duct, thickening of the antrum, dilated common duct, which is encased distally. And you can see there's an enhancing mass at the ampulla. This was an ampullary carcinoma. It's causing ductal obstruction, but also causing infiltration. It's somewhat vascular, and here it is again. It looks like a giant polypoid vascular mass, maybe carcinoid, um, maybe neuroendocrine tumor, potentially just tumor that's sitting right within the duodenum. And you can see that indeed very nicely here or see it on this image, or see it on this coronal display. So again, very, very nice visualizations showing you the entire process. Now, I showed you an example a few moments ago of the portal vein being involved, portal vein SMV confluence being encased. Here's a patient now with pancreatic cancer, but look at the third and fourth portion of duodenum. There's an infiltrating process. There's a classic case of duodenal adenocarcinoma. Very, very easy to overlook, but again, clear definition. Sometimes there's obstruction present, but here very nicely shows you the uh, uh, area of transition. You can see has another patient which had an ERCP with contrast in gallbladder and ductal system. And we can see this patient uh, has a stent in place. And just a very, very nice example. And this patient eventually had a cholangiocarcinoma. Let's move distances down a little. What about the pancreatic duct? Remember we said pancreatic is dilated. You're thinking of carcinoma. When it's a rapid transition, we also see dilated pancreatic duct and chronic pancreatitis. So it's not always specific. You need to look at other findings. In this case, noted the dilated pancreatic duct, and you can follow it down, but it's a very large duct. There's no central obstruction. What you're seeing here is a intraductal lesion, which is an IPMN, and the central IPMNs are more commonly malignant. You can see the duct is dilated. There's a cystic component with an eccentric cystic lesion. When you see this, you've got to be thinking about a side branch IPMN. And here's just another example, same thing. Cystic lesion off the pancreatic duct, very classic for a side branch IPMN. 
Now, in terms of looking at these images, we talked about some of the 3D, we talked about multiplanar. There's a good article in the pancreas how multiplanar reconstructions can be very helpful. And here's that reference. Again, making the uh, one limitation that you do not want to do uh, specific measurements as curved planar images can create some issues along the center line and measurements be incorrect. So that's a quick look at pancreatic tumors. There's a lot more and you could listen to my talks directly on the pancreas. Let's now look at the liver. Again, you might be doing the liver because of a suspected mass. Is a mass present? And if you find a mass, what exactly is it? And can you be very specific or do you need further evaluation? Three very good questions. So it's a very, very common, common problem to all of us in clinical practice. We've asked the question, can CTA, can 3D imaging help our ability to classify these lesions that we detect? And the answer is yes. Here's an article we wrote on 16 slice CT that it had the, the potential for uh, better uh, detection and characterization of focal liver lesions and the 3D evaluation was faster and provided a more thorough assessment of the liver than is possible with axial images alone. That it's a new paradigm in liver imaging, this true volumetric acquisition and display. So we made that comment in 2004. We're now in, at the beginning of 2007. So things are changing, but not changing maybe as quickly as we thought was going to happen. Now, in the liver, 3D has a lot of advantages, as it does in many organs. It really provides us with this integrated approach for the axials and multiplanars and 3D imaging, and it allows us to really take advantage of many of the things that CT provides in the angiographic perspective, as if it was angio, but also provide the classic uh, positive things that we see, again, with uh, routine CT scanning. And again, what we'll do in terms of liver imaging, we'll routinely use both uh, the arterial and venous phase. I use a combination of volume and MIP imaging. I favor volume rendering, but I do use MIP a lot, particularly for looking at uh, branches of the hepatic venous structures. And again, this vascular mapping, which we now provide interactively on workstations as well as on PCs via a web client model, is indeed very important for using this information indeed in the operating room. And so let's look a bit more carefully at hepatomas, but I think the time is running late, and why don't we just pick it up here, the next talk. Thank you very much.